Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paused Reviews. Welcome one, welcome all to the Pause Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Frank, as excited as always to be joined by the world's greatest co-host, Tim. Tim, thanks for being here, buddy. Yeah, world's greatest, you know, just another day in the, the neighborhood. The world's greatest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just another day in the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, it's just me being awesome. Um, Okay, guys, welcome back for another week. Of the Pause Review Podcast, uh, this week is a paused rewind episode, so we'll be chatting about a couple things here, a little bit of news, a little bit of stuff that we're watching this week, and uh, I don't know, I'm really digging this new this new format, man, and it seems like listeners are really liking it too, we've had some really positive feedback. Yeah, I feel like we can spend a little bit more time on some of the stuff we're watching. Yeah, it's just there's something different about um, being able to talk about some of that stuff and not feel rushed really on either part of this but you know it's like you sit down to watch a movie and that's the you know that's a thing i feel like i sit down on a friday or saturday night maybe a sunday afternoon or i could get into a movie but like throughout the week it's nice to have like 30 minute episodes of something to kind of power through and um you know just kind of enjoy wind down at the end of the day so it's nice to be able to kind of deep get a little deeper into some of those those things that we're picking up and Really, it's encouraging me to chew through some stuff that I might have ignored otherwise. So, no, for sure, and it doesn't hurt that these episodes are hovering right around an hour as opposed to two. So, right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, without further ado, let's jump in and start with the movie and television news. We got to come up with some better titles, but we'll get there, guys, one thing at a time. Um. (laughs) So, so obviously this week in terms of news in the past two weeks, um, admittedly, my focus hasn't really been looking into what's going on with the, with the film and television industry, despite that being my, my night job. I mean, look, we all are aware of what's going on. You know, that's sort of dominating the news cycle that is, and it's certainly dominating my like news reading time. Um, you know, we've posted a few things here or there that kind of speak to, you know, where my head's at on certain things. And there's, and we've, I've debated about what we should do with this podcast and stuff. And at the end of the day, I need this to help me sort of cope with all of what I'm reading and feeling passionate about. It takes a toll on me. I mean, I'm sure, and I'm, no, I'm not alone. I mean, this is, these are terrible times. These are dark times. And hopefully, I'm I'm just praying that the the night is darkest before the dawn. You know what I mean? And we're going to come out of the other side, you know, better for it and better better than we were when we went into it rather. I mean, it's it's a shame that we have to go through it at all. But that being said, I this for me is my my coping. This is my 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 pressure release valve. This is just my my happy hour. And my hope is that if you're listening to this, it's because you're looking for that right now too. Just a few minutes of a little bit of a getaway before you get back to the real work at hand that we all should be doing, which is, you know, fighting for equality and remembering that black lives matter. So there it is, my two cents. Um, But I did flush out a few little nuggets <laughs> I feel like we can't talk about. But I ask that you would just bear with us on this episode because truthfully, you know, and I don't want to speak for you, Tim, but, I, you know, I know that you and I, I, 
we just this is what we've been talking about this is what we've been thinking about praying about and it's i, I don't know doing this episode almost didn't happen because it felt like the last thing i needed to do but yeah, somehow also the most important thing <laughs> for me yeah no i mean it's there's I think you've seen that across the entertainment world, across the podcast world, um, you know, across the YouTube world. I think people have really struggled with, you know, this is pure entertainment. You know, this is entertainment for us. This is entertainment for the people that listen. And what is our what is the entertainment world's role in all of this, whether it's COVID or whether it's Black Lives Matter? It. It's it's simply still that um, there are other you know topical podcasts and things that can tackle these things and have tackled and will continue to take on these topics and do them in, in a, a thorough and, and thoughtful way. Like you said, our purpose right now is still just to kind of give you that half hour, hour, you know, whatever it is to get out of what is happening. Um, a lot of common refrain I'm hearing is, you know, just an hour to refresh, you know, reflect, take your time, but get away from the news, focus on something else, repower yourself, you know, whether you're still stuck at home or whether you're downtown taking part in, you know, a protest in your nearest city or whatever, you need that time to kind of recharge your batteries because that's the only way you're going to be good for the long term. So, you know, our role is to, continue to be an outlet for ourselves to to you know like you said pressure release um but also for everybody else just to kind of unwind for a few moments before you know get a get a a deep breath and then wade right back into it but that said we're also coming at it for in in a weird time just in the industry as a whole but yeah even the entertainment news is just dominated by the matters at hand so it's it's hard to kind of ever move from that right now hopefully we'll we'll get you some good recommendations here in a little bit to to further that so yeah well at least at least our best try cuz i've yeah, got right. one that's kind of a pooper um but to kind of to speak to that and and just it, one thing that's been amazing has just been not just the outpouring of support, but just the just how varied that support has been. And and to be honest, for me, I have found it just immensely encouraging, right? Because, uh, you know, unfortunately, we, my wife and I, we're in a situation where we have, you know, we have a lot of high-risk people when it comes to COVID, um, high-risk people in the house. So we are, like, firmly on lockdown as, as badly as I want to be out there. I'm not yeah. comfortable putting my family in jeopardy um, to get out there, but watching how so many people have just contributed in so many different ways. And that's, that's my first thing here is that something that was really cool this week was watching how some of these production studios have been handling it. Yeah. You know, donate mm -hmm. money and do what you can. And, and a lot of people are doing that. A lot of production studios are doing that. A lot of actors are doing it. I mean, John Boyega with, I mean, it was, so powerful, so moving. Uh, Michael yeah. B. Jordan also just gave like an incredible speech at one of these rallies. But, you know, with that, Warner Brothers and Paramount Pictures this week, I believe it was this week or last week, they announced that their films Just Mercy and Selma are going to be made available free to rent across most, if not all, digital platforms for the entire month of June. Just Mercy, which is the Warner Brothers production, is based on the life of civil rights attorney Brian Stevenson. That one, if you want more info about why they're doing it, their website, uh, justmercyfilm.com, 
has this incredibly written, just such a powerful statement as to why they're doing this, which is just in an effort to, for whoever wants to kind of see how systemic racism has become ingrained in society and how this plays a factor, just almost like as an education, they're offering this for anybody who wants it. And Selma from Paramount Pictures, uh, you know, obviously tells the story of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his march from Selma to Montgomery to protect equal voting rights. Again, this has just been such an amazing show of unity and support and and just seeing people do whatever they can to help educate anyone willing to hear or to listen or to or to learn something about the realities of systemic racism in the country. So, you know, support for this cause comes in so many different shapes and sizes. It's just really been encouraging this week to see how that's happening. It was really awesome to see to see this bit of news. Um, I know I yeah. immediately hit rent and they are on my to-do for this week. I think going along with that, something that we've seen locally, which is really, really kind of cool, is a lot of our theater organizations in the D.C. area, um, specifically downtown, are within walking distance of um, the White House. Right. And a lot of them, are, I mean, all of them are still shut down because of COVID. And a lot of them are not really planning to get people back into the theater until what looks to be January of next year. Um, wow. And they, the ones that could, threw open their doors this past weekend and put the word out through various platforms that, um, you know, that they would be available, that they'd have volunteers on site. So if you were out there joining in a march, if you needed to use a restroom, get some air conditioning, charge your phone, snacks, things like that, they, um, the Shakespeare Theater Company, Woolly Mammoth, uh, among them were open. Um, and that was posted around the city that you could get some respite there. Um, and they were taking volunteers from other organizations. I know Ford's, unfortunately, we, just because of our partnership with the Park Service and uh, the fact that we are hopefully trying to open when DC goes into phase two next month, we were unable to kind of open up our building um, just because, again, nobody's been there in a couple months and we're trying to use it. But we let the other organizations know that they needed help. We had supplies and donations and staff that were more than willing to, to be around. So, you know, just coming from the entertainment industry even though our buildings are shut down we're you know we're finding ways to utilize those shut down buildings which was awesome this this past week we put up signs outside of fords that said uh, you know if you're looking for for some some support some medical aid or whatever these other two locations are available so um you know just like you said whatever you can do whatever your station in life is um, i'm in the same boat as you i've been itching to get up to dc or join something and it's just not been in the cards for me because I have somebody who's high risk in my house. So it's it's just just wasn't feasible for, for me to get downtown. Just doing whatever you can and supporting all the people that are going downtown. Yeah, it's just great. Yeah, and even if, if all that you can do this week is watch Just Mercy or watch Selma, fantastic. Fantastic. You know, and none of us yes. should be knocking anybody's effort no matter how small or large or whatever it may seem. So anyways, that was just, it was just really cool. It was really encouraging. And I, and I just, I loved it. I loved reading that. You just don't hear that often. Production companies mm -hmm. just giving you stuff for free. And we've, we've praised Disney plus, you know, to date, but just, just, this isn't like no subscription required, you know, yeah. wherever you stream movies, buy movies, rent movies, you just go on and you click rent and it says zero dot zero zero dollars. I mean, it's just unheard of for me. Um, mm -hmm. So again, just fantastic. Okay, so switching gears to COVID <laughs> and 
Um, as, as states begin lessening and even lifting COVID restrictions, Hollywood has begun uh, preparing a framework for actually getting back to work. You and I have talked uh, almost at length off air, but on air a little bit as well about how, you know, we're about to enter this lull of just no content. You know, because we mm-hmm. haven't been making any content, productions have been put on hold, all this, you know, just the things that you would expect to happen as we've all been in quarantine trying to uh, battle this horrendous uh, pandemic. But um, this week, the various guilds and unions did sign off on a 22-page guideline document that outlines the protocols or outlines new protocols for producing television and movies as safely as possible in this new COVID world, right? It's, I mean, on it, it's yeah. COVID's world, and we're just trying to, we're just trying to live in it at this point. Yep. So a couple of things jumped out to me. Number one, I was surprised. To be honest, I was very surprised at how quickly this was coming out. Surprised, but yet also not in in the sense mm. that. Of course, this is a multi-billion dollar industry that has brought in zero dollars. I mean, well, you know, they, they've been doing the best they can with, with the content that they had available at the time, right? right? We've talked about them making, you know, this whole cinema at home thing and, and whatever the situation might be. But, you know, they're sitting there seeing the same glaring hole that yeah. we've been talking about. And you, you, I guess in a way you had to expect it wouldn't happen, but at the same time, you have to think about the process of making a movie, and right. it's just the idea of that jump-starting again seems not only daunting, but almost impossible when you think about like just all the things and all the steps and precautions we have to take to exist just going to Target. So mm-hmm. it's so that was just, just hearing that headline was a little wild, and then that it's a 22-page document outlining the steps that productions are going to have to take to try to make an effort to keep everybody safe is wild. One person gets sick, and this derails any attempt to get this off the ground, right? That's so very true. You have to, if we're going to jumpstart this, you have to take every possible precaution. We're also heading into summer blockbuster season, right? Like, oh, I yeah. feel like this March, April is not your prime movie release. Look at you know the movies that were pushed out for free by Disney and, and Universal or whoever else. It's like, you could do that with the Trolls movie. You could, you could do that with Onward. It's like, not really missing too much. But you look at the movies that they've now made the decision to delay, whether that was t- uh, the Top Gun sequel, the Ghostbusters sequel. There's a bunch of big ticket movies that were coming out in the next couple of months that have been pushed for a year. And you really kind of also, it just adds to that sense of eagerness that we need to get the industry rolling again. Because I think you're starting to see where we're maybe at a tipping point where if they don't feel like they can get shows back into production and movies off the ground, there really is absolutely nothing. And I wonder if that factors into whether the studios start to look at some of those blockbusters that they pushed off and wonder if they need to go that kind of, um, you know, video on demand route instead of waiting till next year to, to start to generate some money if they can't get things off the ground now. 
So I think they're really uh, 22 pages almost seems kind of light for me to get to just the amount of lives involved in a movie production. Well, know? no, that's exactly right. And and you make a really good point, too. And I mean, in terms of heading into summer blockbuster season, we're deep into summer blockbuster season. You know, if you think about it, usually May, I mean, Memorial Day weekend is a massive weekend for films. And especially coming. Right? Yeah. I think, yeah, you were talking about March, April. It's like, bro, that was. <laughs> Six months ago. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, time doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> it doesn't exist. But, no, yeah, so, like, uh, so Memorial Day weekend's long past. You know, in an, in 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 the Marvel Avengers world, we would have already had three movies. Um, right. So it's definitely, you know, they are absolutely feeling the pinch you are you are coming off of the award season quiet time right so mm-hmm. there's a big push before the holidays before the new year to get your final contenders out there you want them fresh on the minds of the academy voters and you know so, so that in february oscar time you know we're focused on that so january february it, it is dead there is nothing that comes out simply because it's way too early in the year. No one will remember you come Oscar season the next year. And it's just, it's a natural break, right? Film, the film cycle, like television series have seasons. And that's when everyone can kind of take a breath and get ready for the next wave of releases. You are also, I mean, that's when you hear a lot about films starting to go into production or ramping up for production or, or, or whatever the situation may be. So studios are not bringing in cash during that time. The summer season and leading into what we are already deep into is where they are making back the money that they're not making in that time, not to mention for any of the flops that they dropped, right? I mean, Disney's Onward did not bring in the box office money that they would hope simply because it wasn't in the box office. So, you know, when you have situations or, or, or the movie's just not good and no one's going to watch it, it's these summer blockbusters that make your nut that allows you to turn the profit and keep making content, right? So you make a billion dollars for your big summer hit. It doesn't matter if you lost $10 million on your, you know, doo-doo spring or winter release, right? And that's not happening. So it makes perfect sense that that they'll be itching to get back to work. And it's it is interesting to see what they're doing in order to make that happen as safely as possible. And I so yeah. a little bit of background. Um, so the unions and the guild signed off on this, but the document was created by. <laughs> <laughs> Wish me luck here, Tim. The <laughs> Industry-Wide Labor Management Safety Committee Task Force, which is unnecessarily long and is even... Yeah. I, I even went to, like, do the acronym, and it's a ridiculous acronym, you know? So, yeah, yeah. the IWLMSCTF. Does the, does the, the, does the Industry-Wide, does the W even get part of the acronym? Because that's Ooh, a Ooh, good point. So the, <laughs> the Ilmsk... <laughs> I hate this name so much. Okay, so so this is the committee that worked very closely with doctors and sanitation experts and representatives from each of the guilds, directors, producers, actors, uh, crew members, to try to come up with how can we do this. And what's interesting is, because you have to really think about it, film production, television production, it's not like you and I. 
you can't just go into your office wearing your pretty mask that, you know, Nana made for you and wiping down your surfaces with Clorox and, and crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. I mean, dude, I'm terrified to go back into the office. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these, I mean, these are insanely vulnerable people. Actors, when they're on camera, they can't wear any kind of PPE, right? Like zero masks, zero gloves, zero whatever, because you are, you're filming a freaking movie. So you are in close quarters. You are in each other's faces. God forbid there's a makeout or, or sex scene. We're supposed to say six feet away, but I got to put my mouth on this person. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, so in in the in the in the effort to make this content, we are really putting people at huge risk. So when you're looking at this document and looking at the stuff in it, obviously the main things that they're going to be focused on and reliant on is going to be frequent testing, obviously. Yeah and temperature checks and intensive cleaning, um, which makes sense. But, you know, the, do the document also states that certain productions and uh, certain, or rather certain production tasks, uh, such as writing, casting, things like that, should still be conducted virtually as much as mm -hmm. possible. You know, a lot of this is common sense, makes perfect sense. Yeah. I guess my big thing is I kind of start to, to skim through things is I wonder how much this is going to change the industry for the foreseeable future you know like this is here to stay yeah i mean and one of the underlying things that i think people are forgetting about and and i'm starting to see this pop up in some of the sports world is you know underlying conditions that you that maybe an actor or actress doesn't want people to know about or even crew it's you know maybe it's just something that's not public knowledge and depending on what where you get your information those things change you know in some circles they they consider diabetes to be a bit of uh, a, a potential underlying condition that could cause a worse reaction to covid and there's some athletes some notable athletes that deal with you know uh, a type of diabetes and is it safe for them to get into a contact sport again you know are there actors who are in um you know chemotherapy treatment or you know a compromised immune immune systems or something like that it, sure. it's um and, and beyond that i mean you're talking about casting crew we're not talking about you know 15 people like we're talking a, a small army of people and while yeah sure you can do some of that pre pre and post-op stuff um virtually i mean the day-to-day any of this, whether it's Hollywood or sports or whatever, you're really talking about doing this in like your own closed off city, essentially, is really almost where it has to come down to. It's like you kind of have to lock everybody in and film on a closed as much as possible set, right? Oh, that was absolutely on my mind. And, and as you talk through it, I mean, there's there's even there's so many things. Yeah, diabetes, all these things. But even just, I am, anybody who knows me, it is no secret, I'm a giant fat dude. So, <laughs> you know, my wife was just showing me this article, like, you know, Frank, you really got to get it together because, you know, young people who are obese and overweight, that is, they're, they're having a really hard time and they have higher instances of being hospitalized or intubated. Yeah. And, and so like, how are we going to have any, you know, leading guy's best friend in any of these movies because all us fat guys, you know, we got to stay home. So it's, right. you know, but, and, and so it's not even like embarrassing pre-existing conditions. Like yeah. there's so much that we're not even just thinking about here that puts people in, in huge risk and sort of to that thought, 
I, I, what I really wonder is when people are considering roles or considering coming out of their homes to film something, right? How much more difficult is that going to make production? Because, you know, you have the idea of the person that you want to bring on, but now you got to convince them to leave their house. And depending yeah. on their stance on things or how concerned or worried there are, that may be easier or more difficult just depending on the person and the situation, right? But but considering that, you know, they need a little bit of coaxing, you know, I wonder how that's going to change things. What kind of things are going to be asked or included in writers, you know, like, you know, that they're going to insist daily testing be provided. You know, are we going to have to, you know, we talk about crew and all this kind of stuff. Um, do we have to have like an infectious disease doctor or expert like on hand at all times to like mitigate risks and such? Um, and I mean, and just going off of that, you're also assuming that everyone on crew and in the entire production is going to be on the up and up about how they're feeling about it's something we've been seeing as you know theme parks and museums and and big attractions start to open if you do a temperature check beginning of the day what's to say you don't load up on a bunch of fever reducers you know ibuprofen or tylenol or something get your temperature below the 104 100.4 level that they're all requiring for entry and just power through you know what i mean like yeah. and i'm not saying anybody would do that maliciously but if you're going to open production and people are sitting around collecting unemployment or or not collecting unemployment maybe they can't collect unemployment and you're suddenly telling them hey we got this 22 page plan to open up and they spike a fever you mean to tell me somebody might not just power through i you know i can't you just can't sit there and assume that everybody's going to do the right thing because it might not be right for that person. You know, it's, there's just so many variables. I'm, I'm again, I'm not saying somebody would do that maliciously, but well, yeah. And I wonder too, you know, you've, you've already lost so much money putting things on hold. You're, if someone gets sick and you're going to put it on hold for even like, what if we're not talking about just a nobody? What if it's your director? Mm -hmm. What if it's, mm -hmm. you know, and, and what if it's your top talent? What if it's, Someone that you cannot replace. And now you got to go on hold again for weeks on end. And then that person got yeah. three people sick. And, you know, it's, again, it's this this really fine line. I've even thought about it in the sense of, like, you know, are, are we going to sequester the entire crew and, and cast and, and say, you know, once you're in and you sort of pass testing or quarantine or whatever, like, you cannot leave the hotel except to come to work with everyone else who's in court you know and and to be clear like i'm not asking these things or suggesting these things as if they're insane requests like i genuinely would ask for these things myself um yeah. i'm just genuinely curious to see the extent of how different and for how long the production business is going to be and, uh, and, and it's yeah. just the idea of it coming back is it's it's not a simple thing. I mean, it gives me anxiety just to think about it because I feel like this is all the stuff that we're talking about at work too. It's just oh, I know. everything I know. everything snowballs into something else. It's like, yes. oh, we didn't think about that. And I think the sort of the way we've been talking about this is new productions, right? We're not even considering TV shows that stopped. You know, like The Walking Dead didn't film their um, their uh, finale, like they still have the season 10 finale that was supposed to come out. Um, Supernatural was supposed to have their, this was their final season and they were only halfway done production on their final season. And so 
you talk about one person derailing that. Well, what if one of the major stars of that show is not comfortable with this? That one person, and, and again, we're not faulting them because I'm right there. I there's I keep saying I don't know when I'll go back to work because like I take public transit every day and I just exactly. don't know. So you know, what if somebody says I just can't do it for X, Y, or Z? And X, Y, or Z doesn't even have to be. A major thing. Pick one of these shows. Pick your favorite show that was in production mid-season. And if you know the main star says, "I'm just not comfortable doing it," that one person could hold all of this up, regardless of how stringent your guidelines for you know reshooting uh, begin. No, it's true. I, you know, it's funny. I haven't really thought too much about television and them putting things on hold, just because you know this is reminiscent to me of like the writer strike. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, we kind of saw a season be derailed and shows recover, but that's just talking about the delay for the initial lockdown. Yeah. Your point is is absolutely accurate in the sense of like, yeah, everything's open again and now we've lost three of our main people and, you know, they're all in quarantine trying to recover for who knows how long and and yeah it's it's crazy i I mean basically it just makes for an interesting conversation and interesting to ponder just because it's like there's so many angles to this you know it's you know yeah we need to make content because we need to make money and and i'm and there's some actors who need to make money more than others right like you know, your yep. Tom Hanks's and them and the Meryl Streep's aren't going to be necessarily chomping at the bit to get out there because right. they don't need to. But, you know, it's I, I don't know. It's it's fascinating to me. I was surprised at how quickly this document was pulled together. Um, yeah. Yeah, initially, I was shocked at the length of it, although now I agree with you. It's like, is it long enough? Like, how right. how can we plan all these contingencies for any possible scenario of what might happen on this set? <laughs> It's... Well, and then, I mean, and then we're just talking reopening. I mean, you'd be foolish to not have a shutdown plan, right? Right. Right. Then, if somebody does get sick, are you putting people on a retainer or something like that for fourteen days? Or it's just like you know, do you abandon set? Like, uh, if this is a destination shoot, does everybody hang out for a couple of weeks till this person gets better? Like, it just. <laughs> It is, it is, I don't know, you mentioned Tom Hanks and I'm like, well, you know, he got over this. So maybe every movie is just a one man movie with Tom Hanks. Because <laughs> he has the antibodies. <laughs> right. I always, I always said it, guys. Tom Hanks is the cure. <laughs> right. Like, he could singly, single-handedly save Hollywood. So just let's put Tom Hanks in everything. He's a chameleon. <laughs> he can play real life people. So let's just make a bunch of one man Tom Hanks movies, maybe. I knew this day would come. <laughs> Um, all right. He's nominated for like every, you know, like best actor <laughs> every... in Tom Hanks, best actor in Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> Lifetime achievement, single-handedly cured COVID. Um, okay. So, I mean, that's pretty much all I had except, um, you know, there has been, we talked last time in the last, uh, rewind episode about yeah. the Snyder cut and yeah. and what's coming out so quick reminder Zack snyder was the director of justice league uh family tragedy forced him to leave production maybe not even midway through joss whedon was brought in to finish the project and it bombed and tanked terribly and since then for years and years there has been this call to release the original cut um Zack snyder's 
sort of preliminary deliverable was a four-hour cut of the movie and you know the actors everyone have been very vocal about the fact that this is so different than what was actually released in 2017 so um hbo announces warner brothers announces that they are going to release the Snyder Cut. They bring Zack Snyder back in to realize his vision, either in a four-hour feature or a six-part series or whatever the situation is going to end up being. They're sinking tens of millions of dollars into you know, post-production and maybe even some reshoots, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All of that being said, we kind of, we pose this as an interesting thing. We even posed in the last episode sort of what the potential fallout could be from all this and setting this type of precedence. And what we've seen the past two weeks has been that it's exactly what's sort of playing out. Yeah. So obviously there are unique circumstances around this situation. Um, we've kind of talked off air at length about this. It, it, you know, if if you are baking a cake and you slice your hand and you have to go to the emergency room to get stitched up and you, this cake was supposed to be done and somebody else steps in and finishes it for you it, it and uses a slightly altered recipe. It wasn't your final vision. Like there are extenuating circumstances around this. There's also some stuff about, you know, whether or not this is sort of just a ploy for HBO to, you know, get people onto their platform, um, you know, Based on what I've seen so far, they need all the help they can get. (laughs) Right. And, you know, Frank and I have talked about this, you know, there's, and a lot of people do this. It's the seven day free trial, binge what you want and hit the road. So, you know, there's an argument there for it, maybe, especially if they do a six part series and they space it out more than seven days, you know, it's like, maybe there's something there, but what, what I am seeing and what is the floodgates essentially that from people maybe not understanding the backstory to this is you're seeing this cry from other fandoms for director's cuts or reimagined versions. There's a whole big deal with, um, with the last Jedi coming out. So yeah, what we're seeing is, you know, the floodgates are, are kind of opening in this, this way that we were positing last time about the, the ramifications from this, you know, there was a lot of stuff that came out with the, the rise of Skywalker and that Colin Trevorrow's first vision of this got so far as to be storyboarded. And then people are just really unhappy with the JJ Abrams version going so far as to start petitions about, Oh, you know, based on the concept art, we want to see this movie. We saw it with game of Thrones, you know, it, people didn't like the way the series ended. And so they were petitioning HBO to, to reshoot that. But now other stuff that, you know, was not great movie quality stuff to begin with is also saying, hey, we've got a four hour cut. You know, the studio made me cut this. Let's release this. So we've seen stuff from um, Ghostbusters 2016. Paul Feig mentioned on Twitter after the Snyder cut stuff that he's got a four hour and 25 minute version of Ghostbusters 2016 sitting somewhere. And he's like, hey, let's let's release this. (laughs) Then George Lucas I don't know if it was Lucas or somewhere in the Star Wars fandom, they said something about a um, four-hour version of uh, Revenge of the Sith, the the final of the prequel trilogy, and that that's floating out there somewhere. And what I feel like is getting lost in all this is, the whether you believe it or not, the true reason of why we're, we'd be getting the Snyder Cut, because the division that came out was not this man's vision for his movie. So we're giving him a chance despite the tragedy that befell his family to, to 
redo this this movie for what he wanted it to be. Right. This isn't a case of you know the the same team which we talked about this 2 weeks ago which is for example you know using game of thrones is that you know the producers of game of thrones were the same throughout all yeah. 8 seasons so right. in theory the 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 right people's vision was you know delivered to fruition and just because people didn't like it doesn't mean right. we get your your remake because oh i want a mulligan you know this is very much that this man didn't get a chance to deliver what he wanted to. Yeah. Which does make it different, but anyways. There is a place and a time for director's cuts. People love your director's cuts. You put out a special edition DVD or a steelbook or whatever you want. 100%. Yep. And the people who want to watch it, watch it. And it enhances the movie for, you know, whoever. You know, we've talked about Cowboys and Aliens that had the extended cut that you had purchased. And if you watch the extended cut, it, doesn't add anything to the movie things are cut for a reason i guess is my point yep. there cannot be anything in the four hours already completed of ghostbusters 2016 or um you know revenge of the sith that's gonna change that movie in a drastic you know drastic way to suddenly make it oscar worthy like it, it's not gonna change things monumentally and it just it sets this dangerous precedent that we've kind of we, we've danced around before that especially with the way fandoms are these days and people being so opinionated about you know whether it's what disney did with star wars or all-female ghostbusters team it, it just it gives too much power to the consumer to just you know if you don't like it you don't like it, it, it it's it's fine it's a movie move on with your life but to demand somebody else change their artistic visions, it's just it's just crazy. And I, I do I agree with you completely. And I and I think the the real key for me these as I've pondered this and more info has come to light. So, you know, in the in the weeks following when we talked about this last, you know, and I'm not putting this in errors and omissions because it really it was true at the time. But we talked about how bad Justice League was and mm-hmm. and all the fallout from that movie, resulting in, for example. And not directly resulting, but afterwards, you know, Ben Affleck goes through his stuff and he bows out as Batman. Henry Cavill is essentially ghosted and despite just being a killer Superman. Now, in in these past weeks with the whole Snyder Cut stuff, Henry Cavill has come to terms, I believe now, with agreeing to uh, continue to portray Superman, not in a standalone, but as a cameo or supporting role here or there. And Zack Snyder is starting to leak things that sort of hint to what his cut will bring. Uh, the mm-hmm. first thing was the actor who played Darkseid was finally allowed to say on social media, hey guys, I played Darkseid, essentially saying Darkseid is the big bad in Zack Snyder's cut, not mm-hmm. Steppenwolf, and you know how much better it's going to be. So coming off the thrill of that, Zack Snyder releases one of the production images or one of the production stills of Darkseid, and he's holding this weapon, and everyone on the internet blows up and is like, Here's the problem. You don't understand the source material. Darkseid doesn't use weapons, and so this is still not going to make us fanboys happy, right? Like, that's sort of the the gist of what the internet was saying. And that speaks to my point. This is a dangerous, and I, I love the way you put it. I was thinking the exact same thing. It's a dangerous precedence to set. 
because you're going to just open the floodgates for all this nonsense, including movies or shows that saw their vision come to fruition and people just didn't like it. Well, boo-hoo mm-hmm. and too bad and let's move on. Yeah. I think with the Snyder Cut, I, I talked last time about all the reasons why this doesn't fix the problem. And they mainly revolved around the fact that you tried to do too much too quickly and you tried to catch a whale and you know, you were using a fishing line and bubble gum. You know what I'm saying? Like there's just, right. there's no way that this was ever going to happen. That being set aside, here's the real issue that I have. And the more news I read about it and the more I hear about it, it bothers me even more. In 2017, this almost totally sinks your entire catalog of DC Comics IP, right? All the intellectual Mm -hmm. properties revolving around these characters took a massive hit because you lost a lot of faith and trust in the fans that you had so steadily built up through the Nolan trilogy of Batman and and people were on a high. You could have given them anything. People even forgave you that horrific Joker that you gave them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you followed up Heath Ledger with this nonsense in Suicide Squad. It's (laughs) like, but anyways, that's that's another episode. But the point is, this almost totally sinks that catalog, which is one of your deepest. But now we've forgiven you. In the wake of Justice League, Wonder Woman is a freaking revelation. It is a game changer of a movie. It's amazing. Aquaman does really well and brings in a lighter take, almost like a Thor-esque character, um, where you took this borderline ridiculous character and made him really funny and charming and interesting. Um, and uh, And then you come out with this amazing r-rated joker movie and make over a billion dollars which is Mm -hmm. impossible to do as an r-rated movie right you have healed the wounds we have moved on all this does is is give you the possibility of crapping the bed again and pissing everyone off again and reminding us how pissed off we were and having to then dig yourself right back out of the hole that you just came out of. It's nonsensical. So again, it serves as, this should serve as a reminder to everyone why you don't do this, right? You, You say, crap, we missed the mark, let's move on, they'll forget. But they're never gonna forget if what you keep giving them is just longer versions of the same BS. All right, so I think that wraps up the uh, movie news. Like I said, no errors and omissions this week, which means we can jump directly into what are we watching, Tim. Let's start with you, buddy. Yeah, cool. Finally came back around. I had been keeping an eye on this movie, and it finally popped up for free on demand with Xfinity. Just It's been floating in the back of my mind, mainly because my wife has a huge crush on one of the stars in this movie. And Tell him which one, Tim. Anything. Tell him which one. Tell him which Shia one, Tim. La- Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> so we watched uh, The Peanut Butter Falcon. I've been so curious about this. I have not pulled it, the trigger on it. Like I said, she... When she has a thing for an actor or an actress, she also loves Winona Ryder. So she will unapologetically watch whatever Winona Ryder is in. And I get that. If you're a fan of somebody, 
you want to watch their stuff. If you're a fan of a band, you're going to listen to all their albums at least once, right? And mm. if you don't like it, you never watch it again. But you've seen all of their stuff. You listen to all their stuff. Um, you know, if you are a Tarantino fan, you've seen all of his movies. Maybe you've never gone back and watched them again. You know, whatever. I think like you, I was sort of a little, you know, he's made some really terrible movies, whether, you know, that's just bad career decisions or what. And just the other end of this, movie being about you know, a person with down syndrome there's a little bit of awkwardness in there for me because i never quite know how to receive these movies like where does it border a line on exploitation i it's just there have been some terrible movies um you know when you and i have talked about this there's the movie the ringer with johnny knoxville which is a terrible movie and it's really you know offensive there's a little bit of a apprehension because you know it's where where does a movie like this start to border on that i'm not sure and that's just a personal thing for me but this movie was so sweet and it was really well acted i mean maybe outside of the female lead whose name is escaping me at the moment dakota johnson Yes, Dakota Johnson. She's just terrible, but she's limited in the, in this movie. But this movie is super sweet. We, the story opens essentially with this young gentleman with Down syndrome. He is uh, a ward of the state. He has no family, and the state just was like, we don't know what to do with you. So he's living in, in a retirement home. He's living in an old folks home, a nursing home. And even the nursing home is just like, we don't know what to do with you. You know, he's he's a kid. He's a teenager. He's got... Uh, energy and his needs are just different than anybody at the nursing home and you come to find out he's really into wrestling he's had this wrestling tape that he's watched for his entire life and it's his dream to become uh like a pro-am wrestler and the videotape that he watches has an ad in it for this wrestling school and with the help of his roommate he escapes the the facility um and makes his way to this wrestling school where on this trip, he encounters Shia LaBeouf, who's also on the run um, from some bad life choices that he's made. And they kind of band together and they find common ground and they understand each other. And they go on this, like, it's kind of like a buddy movie. They go on this adventure and they eventually get to where they're going. And things aren't exactly right um, where they end up. Things, um, it's kind of a disappointment. But everything sort of comes together. And then it abruptly kind of hits a point at the end where... There's some little bit of a twist to it, but it, it ends up just being such a sweet movie, and it, it's beautiful. They spend a lot of time on the river. They make a raft and they journey up the river on, you know, like the Carolina coastal waterways. And it was just really uplifting, and it was really sweet to see these two people who had no business interacting together in their life, you know, find this common ground um, and kind of take on this adventure together. And all of that apprehension was totally, I mean, everything in this movie was was handled in a very realistic way. And there are moments where, you know, their adversity is, is met with criticism, and it ends up being so sweet and, and so heartwarming. It's definitely worth a watch. Check it out. So do you have, I definitely would you it give it, is there like a rating that you would give it? You know, probably maybe four or five. I mean, it's not a great movie. It didn't, um, there's some, I think for Shia LaBeouf, it's a, a really well done piece for him. I think he plays the character really well. You know, it's not a big time movie. Um, you'll recognize a lot of the people in it. So if you're looking for something uplifting and, and a little bit fun, um, definitely, you know, check it out. Very nice. Um, the other thing I'm watching, um, which I believe you have watched as well, and it's it's come in um, recommended, was a show on Disney, uh, a documentary on Disney Plus called The Boys. 
The Boys is a documentary from, I believe, 2012 mm-hmm. about, about right. uh, yeah, about the Sherman Brothers. And if you're unfamiliar with the Sherman Brothers, they have essentially written any and every song that you are familiar with, especially in Disney or Hollywood up through... God, I mean, they were huge in the 50s and the 60s in Disney. I mean, we're talking Mary Poppins. Uh, that's just the biggest one that comes to mind. But literally, as the, every song in the movie. See, Mary Poppins, Jungle Book. Um, yeah. Outside of Disney, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Back at Disney, yep. Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Just a ton. A ton. Everything. I, everything. I mean, they were totally instrumental in building out every song for Mary Poppins years before... Walt ever secured the rights with P.L. Travers to actually do the movie. Like they had all these songs on done and written before she even was in the room with Disney to negotiate putting this movie together. Every song in this documentary that is played in this documentary is either written by them or their father. I mean, it is not a stretch. And I texted. That's one of the, that's one of the credits is all music provided by. Right. One right. of these Shermans. <laughs> right. And I texted you at the end and I said, I don't think this is a stretch that this duo is probably the greatest songwriting duo in history. It's just that they were not out in front of their music. You know, people go, oh, Lennon and McCartney. Right. I mean, if they were fronting their own band, they would have had more hits than the Beatles. I mean, everything that they writ- wrote was gold. There are so many scenes in the, in this documentary of them working together, and the ideas just melt out of them. I mean, they just used to get in a room and hammer something out, and it was pure gold. And what you come to find out by watching this thing is they absolutely hated each other. And it was beyond fascinating that for this entire career that practically spanned their entire lives together from their early 20s up until they kind of left Disney in the 90s they literally wrote together in a relationship that they couldn't stand each other their families didn't know each other they had cousins that didn't meet each other until they were in their 30s and the really unique thing about it is the documentary is done by their two sons and so their two sons get together and put this thing together and it is so heartwarming and heartbreaking and insightful it's just one of those like we put it on at 10 o'clock on a friday night we just couldn't stop watching it you just so sucked into the story and they're such different personalities they're so dynamic and the brilliance that was born out of this relationship between the two of them is just unbelievable the elder brother robert sherman bob sherman has since passed away but his the younger brother dick sherman he was on an episode of Prop Culture, the Mary Poppins episode, and he is still the only one that is allowed to play the piano in, in Walt's office. Right. He talks in this heartwarming scene about how every Friday Walt would call him and his brother into the office and they'd sit and talk. And then to close out Walt's week, he would want him to play Feed the Birds on his piano. And he wouldn't even have to say, he would just say, play it. And Dick knew what song to play. And so every once in a while, when he's at Disney property, he's the only one that's allowed to go into Walt's office. Walt's office is the same as it was the last day he left. And he's allowed to go in there and play the piano. And it is just 
they came from nothing. I mean, they were celebrating these $500 paychecks. They were made it big. And, you know, they were celebrating these $500 paychecks that they got in these first jobs. They always wanted to write music to get, you know, write songs and make a living playing music. And it was the American dream to, for them. And it's just so heartwarming. So if you'd like Disney, if you'd like old movies, watch this and you'll be absolutely stunned uh, about everything that, that, that they've had a part in. Yeah. So this documentary was, really highly recommended to me by one of my professors in grad school, I want to say. And I remember, I remember him saying, you know, guys, if you haven't seen this movie, you have to see this movie. You absolutely must see this movie. And it was, it was really, it wasn't something that was necessarily easy to find. Um, mm. Even renting it digitally or something like that wasn't always available. Like, you know, I, th I think you could purchase it. it regardless of the reason. It, it was just years and years where I hadn't seen it. And like I said, this was probably recommended to me somewhere in 2015, 2016. And so when I read that Disney Plus was finally releasing it, I was ecstatic. And the second it dropped, I watched. I've been waiting to see this movie for like five years. Yeah. And it did not disappoint. It's exactly like yeah. you say. It's incredibly heartwarming, but insanely heartbreaking. It's it's amazing when we think about the way we work well with others, that these two brothers being related could have such animosity towards each other, but yet that is like the cauldron from whence this outpouring of incredible music and talent came. And so one thing you said, and... and not to like correct you, but you know, they ended up falling into this songwriting thing, but it wasn't what they both wanted to do. Mm, so no. Dick Sherman absolutely wanted to make music. He goes to school to make music. That's, that's yeah. his vision for his life. But Bob Sherman's a writer. He wanted to write like yeah. the great American novel. Right. He does say that whole time. Like, yeah. And anytime he'd get frustrated with his brother, his wife would say, Go, go write your novel. Yeah, go and... write that book then. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I feel like that's what my wife would say to me. I'm like, man, this is, oh yeah, well then go make that movie, right? And it's like, yeah, you're right. I'm never going to do that. <laughs> um, so anyways, so, so, you know, they are thrown together by happenstance even because their father's a prolific songwriter. And he's like, guys, if you can, you know, they, they're married, they have these budding families. It's like, if you guys can write a song that people want to listen to, this may be something yeah. you can do. And, and so, um, and even Bob Sherman teams up with somebody else and Dick comes in later and it just, everything just happens by chance. They can, they yeah. just, they keep falling into this thing together. And this documentary outlines sort of the path that their careers follow and, and again, it just illustrates the incredible music that they wrote. And, and to be honest, when you hear the story behind it, it makes you love it even more. I, I watched yeah. this and I immediately wanted to go watch Mary Poppins. And yeah, I wanted correct. to listen to that music again. You know, and it talks about how they end up working on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and how they do all these. Like, it's, anyways, it's, it's amazing. And not to mention, you forget that Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is produced by the, the broccoli, broccoli man yes yeah, yeah, so he's james bond mind. yeah so it's absolutely <laughs> incredible i think his name was bob broccoli if i remember correctly, or I thought it was broccoli. albert broccoli is it albert it's something i don't, I don't know. know but then his daughter was uh interviewed and her name was barbara broccoli and i was like yes please i, I couldn't recommend this more it's it's a really easy watch it's it's like an hour and change 
Um, yeah. So I'm I'm right there. Well, it's like an hour and a half, but it's uh, I'm right there with you. I don't know what what do you give it? I, uh, I mean, for a documentary, I mean, for something that I would have never kind of been like oh i'm really into this so i'm gonna watch it i mean it's almost it's got to be a 10 out of 10 i mean wow yeah it is mind blowing and you know they never really get into why they don't like each other right Right. they don't really get into the tea they don't spill the tea but you can see it and that's where the storytelling comes in they don't ever he doesn't they don't ever sit there like oh i didn't like dick because x y and z or i didn't like bob because he did this he slighted me this way but you see it you see it in these moments of them being interviewed and you know bob starts to talk about this and then dick comes in over here and just kind of it's like almost like an old married couple like oh no you're not telling that right i'm gonna you know and dick has this energy this big energy to the point that my wife looks at me and she's like they're only two years apart because rob was so methodical and slow and you know and just he had a history older yeah he had a history he was in world war ii and he was injured and um you know so i'm sure that adds years to your life but dick had this vitality and he's this grandiosity to him and you could tell when that didn't work for either one of them and they never had to say it but you saw it in this archival footage to the point where you're like oh they're putting these two men on camera and they just let them do the talking and from that you know and I, i can i can absolutely see people seeing this documentary differently just depending yeah. on who's watching it and when, because you're gonna you're gonna get different parts, you're gonna notice different things, you're gonna see different things, you know. So you just you just absorb and process mm-hmm. and see, and and in the meantime, you're being sort of entertained and wowed at like what they did that. This is yeah. this is that movie where you say they did that, they yeah. did that. You know, well it's right. it's like it, it's amazing. So yeah, I I give it like a nine. I give it a nine out of ten. I loved I loved this movie. It's so interesting, too, to then see, you know, if you watch something like Saving Mr. Banks or whatever, where the Sherman brothers are portrayed in in Mm -hmm. film, you know, you kind of just have a different view of what was going on at that time. Um, Anyways, it's a great point. I really want to go back and watch Saving Mr. Banks again now that I have some insight in who they who they were as people. Yeah. See if they brought Um, any of that in. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'd be really interesting to go back and, and take a look at that. Um, yeah. So just to just to recap quickly, Peanut Butter Falcon for Tim. Uh, you said it was on Xfinity on demand. Yeah, correct. That's and where then I, that's uh, where I watched it at least. Yeah, and then, and the, then the boys. I obviously you can rent it or watch it anywhere, but yeah. it might be free there. And then the boys is on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Just another plus for Disney Plus. <laughs> they just keep racking them in. Um, okay, so we are coming up on time here. So I'm going to kind of try to blow through some of these as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, no need to necessarily linger too, too much. But the first thing I want to do is I want to open up with an honorable mention for what I'm watching. And uh, and that's Josh Gad's uh, Reunited Apart, which is his show mm. on YouTube. In this post-SGN world, um, this was the much-needed salve for my open wounds. Uh, John Krasinski broke my heart, and Josh Gad was there to pick up the pieces and teach me how to love again. This YouTube show is awesome. 
it's awesome. Josh Gad brings in, uh, it is what it is. He, he reunites cast members, production members, the crew members of some of your favorite films and all through Zoom, all social distance, and they just talk. They just talk about the movie. There's you know little bits and stuff. Most of them run about 30 minutes each. So far, he's done uh, Splash, The Goonies, uh, Back to the Future, and Lord of the Rings. We're recording this on a Monday night. I think tonight, June 8th, is uh, their airing uh, the Ghostbusters reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing. The Lord of the Rings one is 50 minutes long. I was in freaking tears. I was crying openly like a small child. My <laughs> wife had to comfort me and rock me to sleep, and I wasn't mad at it. It is so, so good. It almost it almost ruins the other ones for it was the first one I watched and I went back and was like, Yeah, these are okay. It's fantastic. Josh Gad, it's just on his YouTube channel, but it's reunited apart. Absolutely check it out. Subscribe, follow it, whatever. If you're pissed off about the whole SGN thing, this will help. So other than that, these past two weeks, I've I've decided to focus on a couple of new original series that are streaming on Netflix and Hulu, uh, Space mm-hmm. Force and The Great. So mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the bad and work my yeah. way to the great. <laughs> and uh, so we're gonna open up with uh, we're gonna open up with Space Force. So Space Force is a Netflix original. Super brief synopsis: uh, General Naird, played by Steve Carell, is promoted to be a four-star general and expects to take over as the Joint Chief of the Air Force from his nemesis, General Grabiston. Dude, I out the gate, I hate the names in this. General uh. Grabaston, F. Tony. It's they are. It's so. It's like it was written by a two-year-old. Um, and, and and even when they try and pull in like the real characters, like Senator Potosi and uh, the young congresswoman from New York, and they give her three vaguely Hispanic-sounding names. That oh yeah, are like AOC like, is totally in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, even F. Tony is like F. Tony Scarapaducci, and you're just like, yeah. I hate you guys. You know, like just just be what it is. So if you can't tell by now, this was a crushing disappointment of a show. Um, and I wanted so badly to love this show. Uh, it was created by Steve Carell and Greg Daniels, so they're reunited after their time together on The Office. And it is an epic freaking cast. You know, Steve yeah. Carell, John Malkovich, Lisa Kudrow, Ben Schwartz, Jimmy O. Yang, Tawny Newsom, Jessica St. Clair, Noah Emmerich. And then they have cameo slash recurring characters played by amazing actors. Jane Lynch, uh, Patrick Warburton, who's one of my all-time favorites, Diedrich Bader, Batman himself. And if you don't know that, then you don't know anything. And uh, and and the late great Fred Willard shows up yep. in like episodes one and three or four, and it's <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. He's so I miss him so much already. You know, uh, f- here's here's the thing about this show, right? And and I was I was trying to pull a few of the good things, and that mm-hmm. also feeds into why this isn't a good show. So. Touching a few of the good things first, because I feel like I need to do that just to justify the time I spent on this. 
you know, as you watch this, you can see the hint of a decent show. It exists yeah. inside this show. You can, it, it, it's so close, you can almost touch it. And it's so frustrating um, because it just doesn't, it just doesn't hit. You know, there are nice elements of General Naird that remind me a lot of Michael Scott in The Office. You know, this seemingly incompetent guy with these flashes of brilliance. and And it makes him you know, fun and relatable or whatever. But, you know, one scene that comes to mind in particular is there's a scene where he has to go before the Senate, the Senate committee questioning thing mm -hmm. and he's floundering, floundering, but then he gives this incredibly impassioned speech and Tim, I'm watching this scene play out. And when he's like, he's, he has to justify the expense of sending to the, to the AOC uh, character. Yeah. He has to justify it to their constituents why it costs so much to send fruit up into space and why are we why do we have this massive budget and at the end i was freaking moved i was mm -hmm. like send them all the fruit you know what i mean like it's <laughs> he's he's so good he's so good and this character has so much potential and and it and it's moments like those where you see everything that you wanted this to be but mm -hmm. just like those moments of his brilliance, it is a flash and it is gone. And then it is hours of drudgery before yeah. you get another glimpse. John Malkovich is a revelation. Uh, oh, he's the best. He's the clearly the best part. I mean. <laughs> absolutely. No, hands down. He plays Dr. Adrian Mallory, um, who's sort of the, he's the lead scientist of Space Force. He played this amazingly, and, and I felt like he gave every opportunity for there to be like this really clever and funny back and forth with Carell's General Naird. And again, it they just, I don't know. Yeah. You can see him serve the balls up, and then they just sort of fall to the ground. You know, there seemed to... The, the, his, his best part for me, though, I think, was there's a whole episode about some espionage and whether there's a leak within Space Force. <laughs> and um, Dr. Mallory, played by uh, Malkovich, happens to have sent a double encrypted file uh, via email. And so they think it's him. They crack his file and play it in the Space Command on this giant screen. And he's, he's, you know, pleading with them to not show this. He's like, it's personal, please, in, in his John Malkovich way. And it ends up being him playing a love song to one of the, the spacemen who was on this testing facility for, um, for right. this moon landing. And he rewrites, uh, oh, God, what song was it that he changed the words to? But it was so it was so funny. And this is how they all find out that that he's gay and that he's in love with this 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 spaceman. And they're called spacemen. It, it, that's what they're called instead of um, airmen you know, it's spacemen they're yeah. spacemen um and it, this whole is just like if you don't if you can't handle secondhand embarrassment if that is a thing for you don't watch this episode but it was just it was uh, it was brilliant i mean i've loved every scene that 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 john malkovich is in um well what's amazing but, about that scene in particular too is like it is equal parts i mean it's funny it's it's a yeah. funny moment of watching John Malkovich do this yep. song, and and it's it's just it's it's borderline ridiculous for who the actor is, but yep. at the same time, this scene playing out and watching him become Doctor Mallory, and you see the and it's 
it's embarrassment, but it's not like shame for who he is. It's just this yeah. isn't your business. And it's, you know, so it's also this really powerful scene. And it's kind of a very moving scene. And you see him upset and hurt, but more from the from the seeming betrayal of who he kind of thinks is, is a friend. As much as they butt heads, him and Nair right. are, you know, in this whole thing together, building up this ridiculous unit. And so, so anyways, but that's, that's all Malkovich, man. He can be and funny it, and heart wrenching. And the song is what a wonderful world. And yes. so yes. he sings it um, about what a wonderful world it is having this, this spaceman in his life. It's uh, so good. And, and that he's fallen in love with while, you know, observing him in this test moon facility. Uh, it was so great. <laughs> so great. No, absolutely. And, and there's there's so many other moments, right? There's this really cute and budding love story between Tawny Newsom's Captain Ali and Jimmy O. Yang's Dr. Chan. You know, I also really like the start of this really complicated romance between General Naird and Jessica St. Clair's Kelly King character. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and at times there's a really interesting albeit cliche conflict between Naird and his daughter, Aaron, who's played by Diana yep. Silvers. So there's all these little things that, that sort of have these little moments, but therein also lies the problem. Everything is hinted at or just budding. Nothing flushes out. Nothing ever yeah. fully pays off. It ends up, all these moments that could be really amazing only end up being frustrating because yeah. they come to nothing. And the ending, the final episode is infuriating to me yeah the whole season ends up being frustrating because lisa kudrow's character is in jail she's and in we jail the whole time know why well she's and i'm okay with that part i kind of right. loved the bit that you just don't know what she did right and, and i thought that was really clever um I, I keep waiting for it to pay off somewhere and, and i like we have to get a season two i guess for that to pay off, if if even then if right um, but it, it, it just I think it speaks to your line of like there's all of these pieces and especially at the end, nothing has come together. And there's also this element that a lot of the jokes require a knowledge of current events and right. the the atmosphere surrounding our current political structure and the temperament of our current you know president. Um, and so a lot of that, I think a lot of the laughs, unfortunately, rely on you going, oh, ha, 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 I see what you did there. That's just like, you know, AOC, or that's just like, you know, uh, Scaramucci, or, oh, yeah, the president would tweet that. You know, there's offhand jokes about, oh, did he tweet about this today, or, or you know, something like that. Well, and even, I mean, it's just, there are there are these moments, but that's the other thing where it's like, I never found myself laughing. You know, there were yeah. a few there were a few parts where I was chuckling aloud and outside of that you're just sort of drudging through these episodes that just take you nowhere and then the season ends nowhere and Mm -hmm. and it's 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 problematic start to finish and how especially for greg daniels like you can make this sort of secret gem with upload with robbie amell and practically nobody else and then you know you (laughs) you're handed you know the keys to the kingdom and all this money with netflix and an all-star cast and you just do nothing with that 
it was yeah. it was just really frustrating. It was immensely frustrating. I don't know. If it's me, I don't recommend it. I give it I give it a two out of ten. You know, it gets a point for who's in it, and it gets a point for a few little moments here and there. Honestly, it gets a point for John Malkovich, and then it gets a point for the few little laughing moments here or there. Yeah. But outside I mean, of that, ah. it's ah, it was garbage. I felt myself going, eh, well, I guess there's nothing else to watch. I'll watch the next episode. And I had no problem turning it off and walking away and then picking it up a couple hours later and finishing the episode. I had um, a problem picking it back up. And here's the well, thing, Tim. Yeah, right. Yeah, and here's the thing. There is something better to watch, and it's called The Great, and it's on Hulu, <laughs> right? So if you signed up for Disney+, Plus and you're going to watch Parasite, which is our movie next week, it's on Hulu right. for free. Just pay the extra six bucks, add Hulu to your Disney Plus bundle, and watch not only Parasite, but also treat yourself to the incredible show called The Great. Um, the Great's on Hulu Plus. It stars Nicholas Holt and Elle Fanning, and it is the story, <laughs> and this is what I love about it. It's the, the, titles, the title card is The Great, and then a little asterisk pops up, and underneath it says, an occasionally true story, and then you get the episode <laughs> title after that. So it is, the, it is based on the story of Catherine the Great and Peter III, the emperor and empress of Russia from, you know, the dawn of time. Historically, Peter III takes over as emperor from his father, Peter the Great. Catherine the Great... Uh, masterminds a coup to kill Peter and take over as Empress of Russia and and that is what happened and this show sort of goes through the moments leading up to that and but in a in a fictionalized way and in a comedic way this show is dramatic but it's also a comedy and it is freaking hysterical Space Force couldn't make me laugh more than twice the great made me laugh every single episode and would immediately spin on a dime and be like really intense and dramatic and edge of your seat as she's planning these actions and people are masterminding these things behind closed doors and you know it's it's got everything you want nicholas holt is is a freaking like tour de force in this show he is so funny and so incredible as peter the third he is diabolical and heinous and terrible and at the same time immensely lovable and and you just want to see him on camera all the time Elle fanning is incredible as catherine the great you know she is she has these really charming moments of being super naive but yet finding this inner strength to sort of do all the, it, this show has everything i could i can't say enough good about this show there's almost not a single fault each episode ends and you just want more and more the only bad part about this show is that after 10 episodes there's no more episodes and now we gotta wait for season two so yeah. like that's honestly it's the only criticism this show is damn near perfect and it's a 10 out of 10 it is worth Ooh. every penny of signing up for hulu and watching this show it's called the great do it now like i can't stress it enough it's so freaking good it's so good and i've heard this from from more than more than a few people so i think yeah i'll add that to my list and and delve into um i think here in the next next couple of weeks and see um what that's all about i sort of danced around it because i'm like yeah, 
is it really my thing? But it sounds unique enough that um, I think it's, it sounds like it's worth giving it a shot. Yeah, I'm dying. I'm dying to hear what you think, and I'm dying to talk to you about it. Like it's it's killer. I think awesome. you're gonna love it, and I I think Chris, I think your wife would love it too. And I think yeah, I mean we're gonna definitely need a palate cleanser um, after what getting through <laughs> Space Force felt Ugh, like. What a turd. Um. Okay, so that sums up what we're watching. So again, just to kind of run through: Peanut Butter Falcon, Xfinity on Demand, The Boys, Disney Plus. Uh, shout out to Josh Gad and Reunited Apart. That's free for everyone on YouTube. And uh, Space Force, skip it. It's on Netflix. <laughs> and then the last one I talked about was The Great, and that's on Hulu. And that is an absolute must-watch. 10 out of 10. Best show I've seen in a long, long time. Okay, so wrapping things up, listener requests and questions. We didn't have any questions, but you know we do have the same request. So we, you know, Joe asked us to watch Parasite. So mm-hmm. you have one more week. Tune in. It's on Hulu for free with your subscription, obviously. So check it out on Hulu or rent it, whatever, wherever you get your movies. Might as well get Hulu and watch The Great. Um, So Parasite, we're going to dive into that next week. We may have a special guest, TBD. Otherwise, man, I think that's it for today. As always, reach out to us. Tell us what you think. Give us stuff to watch. Give us stuff to talk about. Otherwise, we're just going to keep picking the stuff we want to pick, which I'm good with that too. But, you know, we will watch pretty much anything. So, you know, reach out to us. Give us your thoughts, uh, questions, comments, whatever. And uh, you can always reach us on Instagram at Paused Reviews on everything. At Paused Reviews, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you can email us, pausereviews.com, or sorry, pausereviews at gmail.com. Uh, the website, pausereviews.com, where you can follow and, you know, subscribe and share our podcast wherever you get your stuff. You can email us, you can send us messages, you can do all kinds of stuff on there. That's it. Come yeah. find us, talk to us, listen yeah, to us. Yeah, it. Everybody stay safe, wash your hands, wear your masks, support the causes. We'll get through all this and we'll have new movies to talk about very soon hopefully yeah exactly all right everyone thanks so much for listening this week as always i'm your boy frank this is tim and we'll catch you guys on the next one see ya peace